All right, let's open the Bibles to uh, our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. That's where we are today. Let me see if I can get my computer to cooperate. There it is. All right, um, I'm going to feed you with a fire hose this morning because I got a lot of notes, a lot of ground to cover in our text. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, Lord, we do pray you give us wisdom and discernment as we study your word. Speak to us now. Have your way. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. All right, big idea of the message today is what does an active relationship with Jesus Christ look like? Now, last week, we looked at the four potential responses to God's word. If you were with us, uh, we were looking at Jesus' parable of the seed and the soils. Now, what we saw is that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but the story serves not as an illustration, but rather the story is an invitation. In other words, the parable is like a doorway, and uh, what happened was that Jesus, as he gave the parable, his listeners would effectively, metaphorically, be standing at the doorway as they heard him, and then if they were not interested, they could stay on the outside, but if they were interested, hearing the parable, they could walk through the doorway, they could think more deeply about the truth behind the parable and what it meant to their lives. And so Jesus' disciples here in Luke chapter 8, they, w- they chose to walk through the doorway. They pressed in, they asked Jesus, what is the meaning of the parable that you just told? about the the seed and the soils. And Jesus said that the key to the parable is that the seed uh, represents the word of God. And the soils represent the four potential conditions of the human heart when God's word goes forward. So he said that some of us, we have hearts that the soil of our heart is hard. There's no room for the Word of God. The Word of God can't penetrate that hard heart, and so the seed does not germinate and no plant grows. There's no response to the Word of God. And the enemy, uh, represented by the birds of the air, comes and snatches away that seed. And then he said, some of us, we have shallow hearts. And and the idea is that it'll initially will receive the word, but really there's no room in our hearts having received the word for the roots to go down. And so while a plant begins to grow, it soon withers and dies. Then he said, some of us, the condition of our hearts is soil that is filled with thorns and the thorns are the, the cares of this world. And so what happens is God's word comes in and it, and it takes root and a plant begins to grow, um, but it's unfruitful because the cares of this world choke out God's word and so we don't bear fruit. But then he said there's a fourth kind of heart condition. There's the heart that has basically good soil that receives God's word and then God's word can get rooted in our lives and the, the, we begin to grow and our lives produce fruit. Now, understanding that parable opens the door now for us to understand Jesus' next parable, which we're going to look at in depth today, and that's the parable of the revealed light. We pick it up in verse 16, and here's what Jesus says. He says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but, it's, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, 
For whoever has to him more will be given, and whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. So what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying that if the soil of your heart has received the word of God and that word has taken root in your life, you now have the responsibility to share that word with a lost and dying world. In other words, those who receive the word of God are responsible to then reveal the word of God. Those who receive are now responsible to reveal. Now most of us know that. But here's the question, do you do that? Are you doing that? Are you letting your light shine for the world, the light that God has given to you? Understand, this is not optional. This, this is a fundamental responsibility of everybody who has received Christ as their Lord and Savior, who, whose word has, has taken root in your heart, and where you have begun to grow, and now you produce fruit, that is your now responsibility in the producing of fruit, to let your light shine. See, in John chapter 1, we read that Jesus is the word of God. And John chapter 1 verse 4 says that the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And in Ephesians 5, 8, the apostle Paul tells us that when we by faith believe upon Jesus Christ, two key things happen. Number one, we are transformed. And number two, we are then called to be conformed. Here's what Paul says. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so what do we see there? We see that God transforms us by faith. And the Spirit of God takes residence in our life, right? We were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And then God calls us to be conformed, to walk as children of light. Now, this is exactly what Jesus is saying to us here in Luke chapter 8. That as those whose hearts have received the word, and as those whose lamps have been lit, so to speak then we are now to live with our lamps set on a lampstand giving light for all the world to see. Peter explained it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3. He said, you must worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Notice there that Peter says that we're to explain the hope that's within us. He doesn't say we're to get into a theological debate with people on social media. He doesn't say we're to, we're to, to, to debate doctrine with people. Doctrine's important, but no, what Peter says is that all of us, those who are light bearers of Christ, we need to be those that are ready to, to just share the hope that is within us. That, that basically what we say to a lost and dying world, when people look at you and say, what's different about you? Brennan and I, our, our son being in Hollywood, we actually had a director come up to, to my wife on, on the set one time. There was a bunch of kids on the set and everybody's going nuts. And he, for some reason, God, he comes up to my wife. He goes, your kid's different. What's different? Brennan says, you really want to know? I'll tell you if you really want to know. He's like, yeah, I want to know. And so she starts telling him about how, you know, he's born again by the Spirit of God, how he has Christ living in him. And this guy is like doing the backstroke. Sorry he asked the question. 
here's what we do. We, we need to be able to just tell people, we just need to say to people, listen, let me tell you how Jesus wiped away my past. Let me tell you how Jesus is blowing me away in my presence. Let me tell you about Jesus, how Jesus promises to take me away in my future. Just sharing the hope that's within us. I love what Ravi Zacharias said. He said, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And that right there, that's our hope. That's our message, right? That, that there is a God in heaven who loves us and all of us are sinners by nature and by choice. We aren't, we aren't fundamentally good from the womb. Uh, we, we are born sinners. If you doubt that, take a toy away from a two-year-old, right? To have the, have the brother take a toy away from his two-year-old brother. You know, and you don't have to pull your kid aside and say, hey, stop sharing your toys with your brother. You know, no, when they take your toy, you, you take the toy back and you hit them over the head with the toy. That's what you do. Now go do that. You don't have to teach that. Why? Because kids are fundamentally sinners. You are fundamentally a sinner by nature and by choice. God is a good God and he loves us even though we're sinners. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we have coming to us, what we have earned is death for all eternity. Going to hell, which is a very real place. And Jesus had a lot to say about hell. He talked about hell quite a bit. You think about Jesus, peace-loving, lamb-carrying, peace-sign kind of image that everybody has of Jesus. He is the loving God, but he talked about hell. Why? Because he didn't want you to go there. The Bible says that, that we're all sinners by nature and by choice and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That if we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, given for our salvation, that he gave his life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. And if we believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, if we confess with our mouths that God raised him from the dead, the Bible promises that you will be saved. This is the hope that we have, and this is the light that we have to shine. Now, what does it look like practically to have our lives on a lampstand as Jesus has said. Well, number one, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. You see it here in the text. Our faith will be visible. That's what it looks like if you're going to have your light on a lampstand. Number one, obviously, your faith is going to, be a, going to be visible for others to see. What does Jesus say there in verse 16? He says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it. Now, if you're given to taking notes in your Bible, you could circle that word cover. Nearby, you could write this. You could write to hide, to veil, to conceal. Uh, and, and you do this so that, and here's the key, so that no trace of it can be seen. This is what Jesus is talking about. Now, what are some ways that we do that? Well, Jesus gives us two possible examples here. He says, first of all, that we cover our, life, our, our light with a vessel and the second example he gives is that we cover our light with a bed, right? That's what he says here in our text. Now, when we think about a vessel, uh, there's actually several potential meanings of that word vessel, um, several potential examples. First of all, a vessel uh, can refer to you, to, to the vessel of your being. Secondly, that word vessel, it can also refer to the container of your stuff, 
right? That's actually, when you look into the Greek, that's, that's, uh, that's part of the definition there is that a vessel is a container of your stuff, literally your household goods. A third possible way of looking at this vessel that we can cover God's light in our life with is that a vessel can also refer to your navigation. Again, going back to the Greek meaning of that word vessel, um, it, it actually is literally talking about the sail and tackle of a ship. Now you put all that together, how is it that, that we cover our light with a vessel? Here's what it is. The idea is that the way that we live... The, the who we are and what moves us can cover up the light of Jesus Christ. The way that we live, who we are and what moves us can potentially cover the light that God has given to us. And so the question then becomes for us, and this is something that we need to take a walk with, and that's this, who are you? How are you living? Uh, what is it that moves you? Does your life radiate the light of hope or is your light covered over? Is it covered up by the way that you live? Is it covered up by who you are? Is it covered up by what moves you apart from Jesus Christ? Now, the other possible way that we cover the light that Jesus says here is that we hide it under a bed, that we hide it under a bed. Now, what's the idea of that? Here it is. It's this. It's rather than living and, and living out an active faith, a faith that's active, a faith that's alive, a faith that is awake, what do we do? Our faith is asleep. That's the idea. You hide the light when your faith is asleep. Listen to what Paul told the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Put it on the screen for you. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. He's talking about how we shine our light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, here's the key, listen up. He says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Paul says, hey, you got to wake up. You're sleepwalking. It's interesting. You know, in August 1990, there was a guy named Sam Smith. He lived in Portland, Oregon. They found his body outside of his apartment in the alleyway, and they figured out what happened was that he had he'd woken up in the middle. Well, he didn't wake up. He started sleepwalking in the middle of the night, went out on his balcony, and fell off his balcony and fell to his death. As a matter of fact, Sleepwalking is more common than we might think. According to the Dana Foundation, and I have no idea what Dana Foundation is. I probably should have looked it up, but they're obviously connected with sleepwalking, and they compile a lot of data about it. So the Dana Foundation says this, that it's estimated that worldwide over 143 million people walk in their sleep. Sleepwalk. Uh, in most cases, sooner or later, it results in danger, in damage, or in death. They go on to cite statistics and examples. There was a gal in London who climbed up like 72 stories onto a, tr onto a crane sleepwalking. 
uh, ultimately had to be rescued from there. Thank God she didn't fall. There was a guy who was found also in England. Uh, he, was, he had been driving his car in his sleep, and he was found pumping gas, totally asleep, but sleepwalking, pumping gas, and uh, they <laughs> took care of him there. There was a gal in Ireland who suffered a spinal fracture, falling down the stairs, again, walking in her sleep. They, they traced numerous fatal accidents that were initially thought to be suicide, and they came to find out, no, these people had a sleepwalking disorder, and so they probably were driving in their sleep. Now, here's what happens. According to Wikipedia, as of 2005, as well, there were 68 reported cases of homicide, somebody doing, you know, committing murder in their sleep. Now, um, <laughs> the wife said, I was asleep. I don't know what I did. <laughs> now, during sleep, the normal brain turns off muscle tone. This is why you can't run in your dreams. Because, because as a protective measure, the normal brain will turn off your muscle tone so that that doesn't happen it's, it, to protect you. But for some people, the brain doesn't turn off the muscles. And so what happens is their muscles work when their conscious brain doesn't work. Now, I tell you all that to, to tell you this. Spiritually speaking, metaphorically speaking, it's the same thing that can happen to us, is that we can do things as Christians that are autopilot, that are on autopilot, but we're not actively engaged with what we're doing. And so there's really no light to what we're doing. We're hiding the light of Christ because we're just on autopilot. We're just sleepwalking through life. So what Paul's talking about when he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So, so listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, sleepiness in the Christian is exceedingly dangerous because he can do a great deal while he is asleep that will make him look as if he were quite awake. Think about it. Spiritually speaking, without your brain being engaged, you can talk in your sleep, you can hear in your sleep, you can walk in your sleep, you can sing in your sleep. Let me give you spiritual examples of how we sleepwalk sometimes and, and are hiding the light of Christ because, because we're just on autopilot. Um, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and this, what I'm, this example I'm about to give is not a dig on the Catholic Church. It's really more of a commentary on, on my faith, um, but, but I want to give you this example. Let me just see a show of hands. How many of you were in the Catholic Church, grew up in the Catholic Church? Oh, this is going to be fun. All right. So... I want you guys to participate with me, all right? So, so just, just for now, just for this example, I'm the priest, okay? Uh, somebody, Waylon's going to isolate this video, and he's going he's to have fun with that one. But okay, you guys ready? You going to participate? The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Now, how many of you are freaked out right now? Now... When I would engage, and that's an active part of every Catholic Mass, the priest would, would say those things, and that would be the congregation's response. Now, when, when I did that, I was giving no thought to it. My heart was not engaged with the words that my mouth was speaking. I'll just flat tell you that. It was just by rote. I just, this is what we say. 
I remember the first time when Brenda and I were dating, we, we went to a Catholic church. We went to a Catholic church, I think, a couple of times while we were dating. Um, and uh, and she, she asked me, she's like, why do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. It's just what we do. Shh, you know, this is just what we do. Like, you know, get with the program kind of thing. Now, if I'm not giving any thoughts to my words, if I'm just parroting what the guy is saying, does it mean anything? The answer is no, it doesn't mean anything. My lips are moving, but my head and my heart aren't engaged in it. And the result is that I'm effectively hiding the light of Christ uh, because I'm sleepwalking and not actively engaged in a vibrant venture of faith. Same thing, by the way, doesn't have to be true in the, just in the Catholic Church. Same thing can happen here to where we, we just you know go through the motions. Another way, that we can sleepwalk in our speech where this is concerned, and we could do this all day long, um, is what the Bible refers to as idle words, right? Idle words. This is when we talk without giving any thought to the implications or consequences of the idle words that we speak. Paul, who was speaking of the women in the church who had idle time on their hands, he said this, he said, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not, right? Wow, what are they doing? They're covering their light with idle words. Remember, the definition of cover, it's to hide, it's to veil, it's to conceal, so that no trace of it can be seen. And I would submit to you that gossip and slander has a particular, particularly effective result in covering the light that we are supposed to shine. And, and here's the thing. Gossip and slander is something that most of us are asleep to and that we are guilty of. See, you know, a lot of times we excuse it. We say, oh, this is just, this is my family that I'm talking to. Or this is my friend that I'm talking to. I can be real with them. I'm sorry, but where gossip and slander are concerned, that's just a clever way of covering up the fact that you, that, that you are engaging in this idleness and the covering of the light that you're supposed to shine. See, so, so these are ways that, that we are hiding our lamp under a bed. Another way that we can appear to be awake but actually sleepwalking is in our worship, in our singing to the Lord. To where what happens is, listen, if we're honest, just as Zach referred to today, our hearts aren't necessarily always in the worship. Sometimes we're just singing the words that we're reading up on on the screen, but really we're not engaged. The psalmist, talking about how we are to be engaged, said this, a song for the Sabbath day. It's good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands, O Lord. How great are your works. And this is the way it's supposed to look, but then he gives us a a glimpse of somebody who's sleepwalking their way through worship. He says, your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. See, the implication is that when we fail to worship the Lord in this way, what we're really effectively doing is just kind of sleepwalking through, through our faith. We're, we're hiding our light under a bed. And what happens then is unbelievers come to church Church, the purpose of our gathering together, it's primarily for believers. 
But a byproduct of believers gathering together is that unbelievers will come in. And when we're sleepwalking in our worship, they pick up on it. They come into our midst and they look and they see you singing and they say, I hear you singing, but you don't mean it. You certainly don't live like it and I don't believe it. And so the thing is, is that the light of our worship is supposed to be set on a lampstand. And when it is, it's infectious and it's contagious. Brenda and I, when we first started coming to the Lord and, and we started going to this one particular church where there was a vibrancy in the worship and the people were all engaged and quite frankly, we didn't know what to make of it. We thought it was cool. We were, we, our hearts were moved and we were, we were uh, you know, just engaged. Brenda says to me afterwards, she goes, it felt like country bear jamboree. That's all she knew to, that's all she knew to liken it to. But what happened is that these people, their light was shining brightly for the Lord in worship and it was, there was an attractiveness to it. There was a, there was a compelling witness to it. And, and, and the point is here that we can sleep our way through life or we can open our eyes and we can wake up and we can allow God to shine his light into our lives and then what we do is then reflect that light if we're not hiding that light under a bed. Now, another thing that having our lights on a lampstand means not just that our faith is visible, but secondly, our faith is designed to be exercised in community with other believers. Our faith is designed to be exercised in community with other believers. Jesus says that our lights are to be on a lampstand. Now, in Revelation chapter 1, if you were with us when we went through the book of Revelation, what we see is that Jesus there is standing in the midst of seven lampstands. Revelation is a very symbolic book. And thankfully, the book itself, Jesus himself, explains to us what the lampstands are. He says that lampstands are symbolic of the church. Now, that Greek word for church is ekklesia. It means literally called out ones. And Peter said this. Peter said, you, speaking to the church he was speaking to, but collectively all of us now, 2,000 years later, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what Peter said. And the idea is that as we receive Jesus, as we believe upon his word by faith, then God makes us into a new creation and he adopts us into his family. We're called out of the world into his family, right? We're born again and together what happens is we live out our faith with Jesus Christ in our midst. That's the picture in Revelation chapter one. Jesus in the midst of seven golden lampstands, seven being the number of completion. And so he's standing in the midst of the ecclesia, of the called out ones, of the church. It's this beautiful thing. Then as the seed of his word takes root, together we shine his glory to the world. Jesus told his disciples this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Now, I want you to notice here, Jesus never said that we are to become light. He simply said that we are light. Now, this is simultaneously the greatest compliment that we will ever receive, and it's the greatest responsibility that we will ever receive. Greatest compliment and the greatest responsibility. Listen, it's the greatest compliment because Jesus claimed the title of light of the world for himself as he walked this earth. A couple of examples for you. John 8, John 9. He says, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I, referring to himself, I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Again, in the next chapter, Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of of the world. And so his conference of his own title upon us, now that calls us we are light, this is a great compliment. But listen, it's also a great responsibility for the very same reason. Because it implies that when we act as Jesus acted, then we are acting as his ambassadors, his representative. The dictionary defines ambassador as an official envoy, the resident representative of a kingdom. That's who you are. That's who I am. We are resident representatives of the kingdom of God and of the king of that kingdom. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That's a scary thought. We are an official envoy. And and, and the idea is because you represent a ruler, you have to be his representative and not your representative. We can't let darkness be what what we display. It has to be that we are representatives of the Lord letting his light shine. So, So that's who we are as Christians. Again, Paul told the Ephesians, you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. You are light. Walk as children of the light. Let me just say this to you guys. People see you. They see you. The Bible, or the, the, there's a poem that says that, that uh, you're writing the gospel, a chapter each day, by the things that you do, by the words that you say, and people read what you write, whether it's faithless or true. Hey, Christian, what's the gospel according to you? See, people see you. And what happens is, not only is this true individually, but it's especially true communally. It's especially true community, in community together. When, when we together as the body of Christ, when we shine our lights together, it has this cumulative effect that is, that is phenomenal. That the brightness of it shines, Jesus says, like a city that's set on a hill. I went and picked up my daughter Megan at the airport last week. She and her four kids came out for our VBS. They're with us for several weeks. They, they flew in from Virginia, picked them up at the airport in San Diego. And we're driving back, and it's late at night. And as we're driving back to Temecula from San Diego, we're still, you know, well south of the border checkpoint, but the whole sky is just lit up. And what was it? It was the lights of Temecula that were just shining so bright. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of recently new. I, I don't know how long you've been in Temecula. We've been, you know, in the valley since 1989. Um, and, uh, you know, living, you know, we moved to Menifee in 1989, but spent a lot of time in Temecula. And back then, there was less than 35,000 people that lived in Temecula. And I'll just tell you, when you, when you drove north from, from the San Diego area, you didn't see the whole sky lit up like that. What happened? Well, since 1989, thousands and thousands of people have moved in. Now I've got 120,000 people 
living in Temecula, and now that light shines, and it just illuminates. It, you can see it from, from afar off. Let me give you a spiritual example. Watch a seven-minute video of what God did at our VBS. We had 1,000 kids. Two-thirds of those kids don't go to our church, and the majority of those don't go to any church. And we had 400 faithful servants that collectively gathering together as the body of Christ, letting their light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. And that's exactly what happened. Testimony after testimony just coming through. People posting on Temecula Talk and just talking anecdotally to our different people. Just saying the love of God. Overwhelmingly just talking about the love of God shining through his people. That's the way it's supposed to look. And it's such a beautiful thing when it happens that way. And so Jesus says here in verse 17, he says, Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. See, truth by nature, it's meant to be revealed. Truth by nature is meant to be revealed. Revealed. David Guzik in his commentary said this. He said, if you have the truth of God, you have a solemn responsibility to spread that truth in whatever way God gives you opportunity. Even as someone who has the cure for a life-threatening disease has the moral responsibility to spread that cure. God didn't light your lamp so that it would be hidden. You must either spread the word itself or spread the influence of God's word by bringing others to a place where they will hear it, but it's best to do both. Letting your light shine, giving a reason for the hope that's within you, and inviting people to come to church. This is all part of how we live out our faith. Jesus says here, there's nothing secret that will not be revealed. What does he mean by that? What he means is that what's inside is, is going to come out. Brenda used to do this thing with our girls and she'd pick up on, you know, that there was some boy at school that, that they had a little crush on because his name would start showing up in their conversation. You know, they just mentioned his name a bunch and she, she'd look at him pointedly and she'd say, Caitlin, say his name. And she, Caitlin, you know, the big smile would just show up on her face. She couldn't keep it back, you know, worked, worked, you know, like a charm. Say their, look, you know, Scotty, say your name. Just, you know, the, the, the sheepish grin, you know, that would come up. There's nothing in hidden that won't be revealed or come to light. See, whatever it is that burns inside of you is going to come out. If you're on fire for Jesus, the world's going to see it. But listen, if you're not on fire for the Lord then that light ain't coming out. It's not coming out. And so therefore, here in our text, Jesus says in verse 18, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, to him more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the key to shining the light of Jesus is inextricably linked to how we receive the word of God. That's what he's saying. He's saying the key to shining the light of Jesus is inextricably linked to how you and I receive the word of God. Jesus put it this way in Mark's gospel, Mark 24, uh, 424. He said, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding that you will be given and you will receive even more. What Jesus says is this. 
Jesus says, first of all, pay attention to what you hear. Pay attention to what you hear. How can you let your light so shine? How can you be flaming that, that, that fire, that fire that's been lit? How can you be fanning it into flame? Jesus says you've got to pay attention to what you hear. In other words, what he's saying is you've got to make sure that the teaching that you are sitting under is biblical. Again, quoting from David Guzik, he said, Christians should be careful to put themselves under good teachers, teaching the whole counsel of God's word. There are many reasons for choosing a church, but one of the big ones must be, Jesus told me to take heed what you hear, and I know this church teaches the whole counsel of God's word, end quote. So we got to pay attention to what we hear. Secondly, Jesus says we got to pay attention to how we hear. Not just what we hear, pay attention to how we hear. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, The hearer of the gospel will get measure for measure, and the measure shall be his own measure. And it works out just this way. To the one with no interest in the gospel, the preaching of the gospel seems uninteresting. To the one who wants to find fault with the church or with the preacher, they find plenty of faults. On the other hand, on the more blessed hand, those who hunger find food and those who want the solid truth receive something from any faithful ministry, end quote. In other words, listen, we are to approach the hearing of God's word. Listen carefully to me. This is how we're supposed to come to church. This is how we're supposed to, to approach the hearing of God's word with hunger and with expectation. We're to approach the hearing of God's word with attentive alacrity. My dad used that word alacrity a lot, so I know exactly what it means. It means a brisk and a cheerful readiness. My dad would bark out an order, and he wanted us briskly and cheerfully to be ready to carry out that order. My dad didn't mess around. And so this is the way that we are supposed to approach God's word, with with attentive alacrity. I'm ready, Lord, to be brisk and cheerful in the application of what you teach me. We're to approach the hearing of God's word with submissive hearts, not with an attitude of, of you know, resistance, but no, I'm submitted. Whatever you say to me, Lord, help me to hear your word. Help me to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only as the book of James, James exhorts us. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 18, listen, he's saying we can do that and we can receive from God in increasing measure or... We can blow off what God has to say to us in his word and we can suffer for it. And the choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. Now, in conclusion, right on cue, as we continue very quickly in the next few verses, right on cue, Jesus' mother and his brother show up and they, they give us an objective lesson here to emphasize what Jesus has just been teaching. And so verses 19 through 21, we'll go very quickly. It says, then his mother and brothers came to him and they could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and he said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You're like, what's up with that? Here's what's up with that. In Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 3, it tells us that at this time, Jesus and his disciples were so actively engaged in serving that they scarcely had time to eat. And so what happened was his family thought he was crazy. That's what Mark's gospel says. They thought he's lost his mind. 
And so mom, concerned for him, she knows that, that he's, you know, the, the Messiah. She gets this. But she just thinks he's, he's a little off. You're, you're being a little excessive, you know, and basically she grabs the, the, the brothers, by the way, Mark 3 tells us uh, that, you know, and here we see that Jesus had brothers, right? And, and so this would be children produced by Mary and Joseph, right? And so, so they want to come and they want to take Jesus away and they want to force him to take his foot off the gas. They're like, hey, cool it, man. You, you're out here. You've lost it. Maybe some of your family members said that to you this week, serving at VBS. They're like, you've lost it, man. Like, don't you have a life to live? And you're like, I'm living that life. And so Jesus says, look, my mother, my brothers, they're those who hear the word of God and do it. In other words, it answers our original question. What does an active relationship with Jesus look like? Here's what it looks like, guys. We live on fire for Jesus. We let our light burn so bright that all the world can see it. It's been said, light yourself on fire with passion for Jesus and people will come for miles to watch you burn.